cliffcentral.com That one goes out to the Peter Marisburg Girls High School. Don't call me Kafir. Come on, guys. In this day and age, are we still having this conversation? We once did a show on this. We once had an entire discussion about, are you raising racists? Are you raising racists? Um, and 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 we, we, we discussed it, and a lot of people were like, no, of course I'm not raising a racist. But now look, look, these are high school kids who are using the same language of the oppressor against one another. We have a long way to go. Not acceptable. Um, so that is a message to Pretoria, sorry, to the Peter Maritzburg Girls High. Um, deal with it, sort it out. We don't want this nonsense uh, in our country. Not anymore. But anyway, good morning. This is Frankly Speaking. Uh, this is Rory. Um, today I'm flying kind of sol- solo. Uh, my partner in crime, Andrew, is, is out and about. Uh, but we've got quite a sensitive topic and uh, it's it's much too much for uh, one guy to handle. So we didn't just need uh, reinforcement. We needed female reinforcement and not just female uh, reinforcement but the mimi magic to reinforce us uh, in studio joining us this morning as Hi, a co-guest host is miss mimi kalinda good morning mimi good morning thanks for having me rory yeah mimi. was wondering when you're gonna invite me no 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 this 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 invite is long overdue yes. um and uh, and it's the perfect time to to speak to you because today's show is frankly speaking is the african passport going to make us all poor um and for those that don't know we've got uh, there's been an african passport introduced or that is in the process of being introduced which basically would allow all africans to travel without the need for visas between uh, the different african countries uh mimi can you just uh, introduce yourself uh, so sure. everyone understands who you are and why, what you have to do with this topic. Sure. So I am, I run a company called Africa Communications Group. And one of the, uh, the things that we're concerned with at the moment is communicating around the work of the African Union reforms. Now, when you say African Union, people have very strong opinions or no opinion at all. Mm. Um, but essentially, the African Union is reforming in a number of different ways. And one of the ways is to push for um, the one African passport um, mm. to make sure that we we all have one passport. Now, this does not uh, exclude the fact that we'll still have our own country's passports. Mm. Um, but the goal is to have by 2020 have put in the infrastructure necessary in each country for us to be able to travel across borders without necessarily the need for visas, okay. um, which I think would be a fantastic idea. So this, my role around this is really to communicate about this, to educate people around the AU reforms and the implementations of these reforms that are coming up. Okay. And, and, and now we're going to speak about the, the African, the integration of the rest of the continent. You say it's, it sounds like a good idea. Yes. Um, that we're going to have almost a borderless uh, Africa. Um, why is this such a such a good idea? I mean, it's a you know we've lived with borders for all of our lives. Why is it a good idea? 
Well, I think, well, first of all, I don't think that the issue is, should we have a united Africa? I think the mm-hmm. issue is, how do we have a united Africa? What are the implications at country level? Um, because, you know, my three reasons really for, for having this are one, we need to start being taken more seriously as a world power. Um, and the only way we can do that is if we're united politically and economically. The second question I would pose is, does any African country have the economic and political muscle to attain first world status alone? Hmm. If the answer is no, then we need to unite. And the third one is to have unbridled independence and peace in pursuing Africa's development goals. We have to be united. I mean, this has happened. I, I don't even understand why this is a question. I mean, we, you know, we saw this happen. You know, the, the, um, Scotland and the, the UK, mm. uh, and England, sorry, mm-hmm. united to make Great Britain. Mm. You know, uh, China had to go through a civil war, you know, to become the, the People's Republic of China. The United States had to go through a civil war to become the United States. And yes, it's a painful process. And the reason I speak about those examples is because it's a painful process. But the end result and the end goal is what we need to achieve and it will be beneficial for all of us. So so you raised international examples and and, and I think that's quite interesting because um we are in the we're in a state of um probably sort of a, a weird change um in the world right now where um we're seeing in the western world uh, a few countries some of the larger economies saying you know what this thing of integration is actually not a good idea. The United States is, is closing borders. Um, we're seeing Brexit happen. Um, what do Africans know that the rest of the world that has actually tried this seems to not know? What, are, are we jumping onto the bandwagon a little bit too late? I don't think that it's too late. I think the time is perfect. Um, you know, I think that the fact that, you know, people are talking about closing borders, etc. you know, of course, you know, we've come to certain countries have come to, uh, you know, a geopolitical step in their development where perhaps closing borders make sense. Um, in Africa's case, we haven't even tried, mm. you know, so at, you know, the status quo is clearly not working for us. Mm. So, you know, my position is, uh, you know, to have something that you've never had you have to do something you've never done mm. okay so that's a that's a great opening shot mimi uh let's let's bring somebody else into this conversation uh we've got uh, george ndirangu uh calling uh who's who's joining us um george good morning good morning so george is in kigali in rwanda so we've got we, we're trying to go for a and, and mimi you are if we said where you're from where would you say <laughs> I'm from Congo, DRC, Rwanda, grew yeah. up in South Africa. There we go. So we're Pan-African today <laughs> in studio, um, and I'm just South African, so there we go. Uh, George, um, thank you for joining us, man. Um, we, we're discussing whether the, the, the African passport is going to make us all poor. Now, uh, the premise of this is that um, integration, if you look at the discussions uh, in, in at least around Brexit and so on, you're seeing two concerns. So... The first one is, will it make the richer countries poorer in the sense that you're going to see an influx of people um, to these countries? Um, 
thereby placing a lot of pressure on on the public infrastructure there and so on and in the long term probably resulting in uh, gdp per capita uh, declines um on the flip side of that is it is it going to make poorer countries as well poorer because it allows uh, richer countries to cream the to take the cream of the talent crop um and cause a brain drain in those countries uh, in order to benefit their brain gain um so how do we justify this? You are you work within the economic realm um, as a, uh, as as a reporter and so on. How is this justified economically? We hear the philosophical and the, and and the political, but economically, is there justification? Uh, yes, there is justification. So so the economics are simple, and I, I want to ask us to look at the big picture for a moment. So if you look at South Africa's economy as an example, uh, it's about $400 billion in GDP. Mm. Uh, its rate of growth is very slow. In fact, we have a problem, as announced yesterday, or as, as we found out yesterday. Mm. And the cure and solution to that problem has to do with access to markets and leveraging the strength of one of the economies, for example, South Africa. So integration and bringing the continent together for South Africa is a win-win because South Africa is able to expand and grow and have markets for its products. Uh, if you look at another country that is poor, I'm using your example of a wealthy and poor country on the continent. If you look at a small country like Malawi, I don't think that they would suffer necessarily from a brain drain. If anything, they would gain from an investment in their local market by expansion of the continent and access to each other's markets. There are naysayers out there who are trying to build a narrative that says that integration is going to be destructive as witnessed in Europe and people are pulling out right now. But as my colleague Mimi said, where we sit, we are in the best opportunity to be able to build a consolidated market. If you look at China, for example, and China's size of the economy, the sheer size of the economy gives them some leverage over the global economy. But African economies are disintegrated, so they don't have any leverage over the global economy. If an investor is coming into Africa and wants to invest, they have to look at an isolated middle class strata in different smaller markets. Whereas if they were looking at a consolidated market, the volume of investment would be higher. Mm. And then lastly, the opportunities are not all in Johannesburg or Cape Town or Nairobi or Accra. The opportunities actually sit in some of the smaller underdeveloped cities because the opportunities to develop those cities. So an engineer doesn't have to sit in Cape Town for a lifestyle only. An engineer can actually build a new lifestyle in a smaller city, thereby creating a, a successful economy in that smaller city. But is it is it uh, easier said than done? Um, this this idea that we could live in an integrated continent. Um, it seems we just can't even just the African Union itself. Never mind. So this is just a group of diplomats who are supposed to try and find a cohesive way of working together. They're struggling. How do we make entire populations begin to see the benefit of integrating? And and let me just jump in here, Rory, mm. and just say that uh, just a quick cor- correction. This mm. is George George Chiboshiwe. Oh, George yes, I, I and uh, he is the founder of the African Democratic Institute and working very closely with us on the African Ref- um, Union Apologies, reforms as well. George. Hi, George. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. So, so how do we how do we then uh, deal with uh, integration at a population level and even at an economic level when when our own diplomats who are supposed to at least be driving some sort of cohesion can't seem to. I mean, we, we've got the AU reforms now as a means of trying to reform this institution, which has been struggling over many, many years uh, to, to make any meaningful impact. How, how do we do that to the both of you? 
Well, I, I think reform, reform is, is, is always hard. Change is a very complex thing. It's not an easy thing to do. But it's necessary at this point. And never before in history have we ever had an opportunity better to integrate the African economies and the African people in particular. I think the, big, the starting point is to be able to get our own people to think about an integrated continent and the benefits of that. The second part is to see our common heritage, where we've come from in history, how we end up on the same continent together, and we will be on this continent till the end of life. So it's much better for us to cooperate, collaborate, and see the similarities in our cultures and integrate those first. And so the first step is that at a national level, I think it's important for, for each of our sub-economies to have an understanding of the value of coming together. Uh, and I think the narrative of coming together is, is successful in many aspects of our lives. Mm. That's the first part. Then the second part is to then say, well, how, how do we drive our own ideas at a policy level to align with what the people understand unity to be? But uh, Mimi raised uh, that, the, the fact that China had to go through a civil war, the U.S. had to go through a civil war. Can this happen voluntarily? Or Mimi, should we take up arms and force this thing to happen? Not necessarily. I think that, you know, quite frankly, I, I do believe and, you know, I'm, I'm, I stand uh, corrected, but that the majority of Africans, um, you know, see unity as, as a plus. You know, um, I don't think, like I said at the beginning, I don't think that uniting is really the issue or the question here. I think the how and how we make sure that the implications are positive for all of us. That's really the question. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I'd like to touch on is really, um, you know, something that's come up quite a lot when we talk about uniting Africa is, um, you know, quote unquote, independence from the West. Mm. What does that actually mean? You know, and um, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, George. And, and you know, I, I was reading a quote from my Cavelli this morning saying, you know, have them by the, by the balls and their hearts and minds will follow. So do <laughs> our leaders need to have the teeth that are teeth that are strong enough to bite off Western teeth, um, Western fists off our balls, mm. you know, not to be, not <laughs> yeah. to be crude, yeah. but you no, know, to it, be crude. Yeah, no, <laughs> to be crude, <laughs> to be crude. Um, but you know, where do we stand on this whole independence debate and is it really a thing? Uh, I agree with you, Mimi. I mean, the, the truth is independence has to do with uh, controlling our own destiny in terms of the programs that we choose to implement for ourselves and the vision that we carry for Africa. The vision of uniting Africa, first of all, starts with being able to finance an integrated process. We have the African Union, for example, uh, which largely depends on, on donor aid and funds for them to implement their program. Uh, we have member countries not fully committing themselves to financing uh, the administration of the African Union itself. Uh, and then we have uh, peacekeeping missions, which they're doing successfully at as, as African Union or as Africa, but we are not financing our own. So the, the first is that we need to finance our own. That's the first step of releasing ourselves from the clutch of, of the West. The second is we need to get our own citizens to see direct benefits of what that can bring. So, for example, an African Union passport, which will be launched at the end of this year, is, is one step in that direction. What it does is it means when I land in any country, I don't have any challenges whatsoever with being allowed to enter the country. Of course, I have to meet the immigration requirements of that country. Uh, and to, to clear the air, I think people think that when you have an African Union passport, then the whole continent will, will, will come to Joburg or will go to Nairobi. It's not like that. It's simply integrated in the sense that you have a database that gives you access to every African citizen in a consolidated way, and you are able to access and travel to each other's markets without any challenges. That opens up trade, actually. It doesn't close up trade. 
Yeah, because I think when mm-hmm. we talk about inter- economic integration and like you said, people coming to Joburg, Nairobi, Accra, etc., what we forget is that an integrated region economically also makes the poorer countries stronger. So therefore, people don't necessarily want to leave their countries. You know, so you actually but how? start so, to so, reduce. So I, inter- I hear you guys saying this will, and philosophically, you can't disagree. Um, if you're a progressive thinking African or, uh, about integration, but how, how, so help me to see how, um, the ability of somebody who is in Mali being able to more easily ac- access opportunities in South Africa is going to be good for Mali because it means that uh, South Africa is able to, to, to monopolize great talent, um, while Mali loses some of its great talent. So, in which ways are we, uh, is this going to ensure that the poorer countries don't become poorer, uh, while the richer countries just uh, continue to mon- monopolize all of the best talent? George? Well, that, that, pre- that presupposes that all the opportunities are in South Africa. That the opportunities actually sometimes are in Mali. Mm. Just that the, the Mali citizen may not be able to access those opportunities because we're not holding each other to the same standard. Sure. And let me give you a very practical example that is being implemented right now. Mm. Regional integration begins with with being able to consolidate our markets in a regional sense. And I think you can see that the continent has made a lot of progress in that area. East Africa, for example, is, is now at that consolidated economic point and will soon be really at the peak of being able to trade right across without any issue. Mm. The smaller countries there, like Burundi, are beginning to benefit from that. So you don't have every Burundian going to Nairobi or going to Kigali or, or going to, to Addis Ababa. What you actually have is people, business people coming out of Nairobi and beginning to set up shop and partner with their colleagues in Burundi and actually start a business that employs people. Now, expecting this to just be uh, uniform change at the same pace uh, coming from a different base, I think, would not work. Mm. But it is, is you, will get, you will get gradual change uh, at different rates depending on the level of economic investment that has taken place in that, in, in that specific country. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect then is, if you think about about economies that want to grow, if you think about an economy like South Africa that is semi-industrialized and has some level of, of infrastructure, the room for growth exists in the neighboring country. The markets for the products exist in the neighboring countries, but it doesn't mean that you're just dumping products there. It's mm. trade. There are things there that we need here in South Africa. So, so it, it is down to understanding the economics of integration yeah. and beginning to get our member countries to understand why each country stands off better when they integrate and connect to each other. Mimi, you, you run a pan-African business. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the challenges that, that, that you face um, um, trying to run a pan-African business uh, that you feel that an Africa passport will just uh, do away with? Well, I think, first of all, just travel. You know, traveling for me from one country to the next, I think, you know, going from Johannesburg to Dakar, for example, um, you know, if you're lucky, you'll find a straight flight. Otherwise, you, you fly through Paris to, to get to Dakar, which is absolutely mm, ridiculous. That's, crazy. Mm. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is obviously visas um, are a huge issue. I mean, getting a visa to Nigeria. Um, you know, is a process that, t- that takes, you know, a couple of days up to two weeks sometimes, and it's very expensive. Mm. So, um, you know, which leaves me really dependent on working with affiliates and partners in each one of these countries and relying on other people to be able to execute on the ground so it and finding it very, very, it really increases the cost of business. Mm. Um, and then I think also the second thing is just being able to send money across borders. Um, you know, so paying 
you know, my people in Accra or paying my people in Guinea, um, you know, it's quite a challenge um, in terms of money transfers, etc. So, um, you know, having one African passport and having, uh, you know, being able to facilitate that process for my business would be hugely beneficial. What do we do about the reason why we've got visas in the first place? So the reason why it takes so long to get a Nigerian visa, I imagine that they, they justify it as uh, for, for security, for political stability, for all sorts of things. Um, um, how how would we then deal with those issues? Because those issues wouldn't necessarily go away, would they, George? No, no, they wouldn't go away. In fact, if I could quickly add to what Mimi said, mm. the other thing you get from from an African passport traveling around Africa is just dignity. Standing as a line trying to get a visa to another African country. 100%. Mm. When, a, when an American can walk in and pay their visa fee and go past me and I'm still one hour in the queue, it doesn't yeah, make crazy. sense if yeah. I'm an African. Yeah, and so to give you a very, very, uh, you know, personal example, uh, I have both a DRC passport mm. and an American passport. When I travel across Africa, use I use American my American one. passport. It's easier. It's easier. You know, like George said, it's, it's, it's a go. more dignified yeah. process. I don't have to stand in lines forever and people look at you different. Wow. So going back to the issue of narrative that you and I have spoken mm. about so mm. many times, mm. it's a thing. So, we, so you have to change your deep. identity in order to be acceptable on on your, on your own motherland. continent. Wow. On your own continent. Jeepers. Including in the DRC, by the way. Jeepers. The accent doesn't hurt either, does it? No. <laughs> but, but, but also, but also uh, coming back to your point about visas, the way we fix that is, is really simple. The reason why you have a visa is because of, of two reasons. The first one is the security issue and controlling and being able to understand who comes in and out of the country, which is justified for every country that is a sovereign, right? Hmm. But the second reason why 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 you need a visa is is actually to be honest reciprocity. So some countries, for example, in in their bilateral agreements, don't actually have a visa. They've eliminated visas because they trust each other. Once there's a bit of acrimony between two countries, then then the visa applies. I apply a visa in South Africa. Nigeria will also say South Africans when they come here must have a visa. So the way you you, you deal with that is first of all establishing the the levels of trust at a regional block level. Because if there is that level of trust, there is no need for any tiff to exist between, for example, South Africa and Zimbabwe or Zimbabwe and Botswana. Essentially, you've solved what is a foreign policy issue by how you've brought them together in a consolidated pool. The second one is then responding to each country's concerns, which is security concerns. South Africa, for example, would have a problem with immigration that is unchecked and people are just coming in and out without a proper system. So it means you're actually taking South Africa's immigration standard, which is very high, and making it the regional standard. Once it becomes the regional standard, we have common agreement in terms of how we immigrate and move around each of our countries. So it actually makes the entire region better off because we all have to upgrade to a particular level and hold ourselves accountable to that level. And over time, the visa disappears. Yeah, George, and you know, I, I just, I think that this conversation sometimes gets really, really high level. And, um, if we had to bring it down to, you know, obviously, you know, of the issues in South Africa around xenophobia, mm. um, you know, which are not particular to South Africa, I might just add. Um, but, you know, when you, when you talk to that person, who says, I don't want foreigners coming into my country, et cetera, et cetera, and the whole narrative around xenophobia. How do we start to answer the question? You know, how, how do we, mm. how do we manage that? How do we manage that conversation at a very basic level? Yeah, because he's not seeing, he's not seeing a person coming in to take the African opportunity. He's yes. saying, this guy's taking my job. That's right. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, 
the reason why he's saying this guy is going to take my job is because we haven't we haven't taken our people to reimagining what what jobs will look like in the future, uh, and we haven't thought about the value of the job and what what an individual gets from it. Uh, I, I can tell you the following in terms of just global economics and history itself. Those economies that actually open themselves up to new ideas and new people from new places effectively begin to generate the IP for for whatever will conquer the world in that period. And and, and I think I think the, the example of the United States is, is very practical. Uh, closed borders, in my view, and I think history has proven makes it difficult for patents of some of the biggest things to exist in an economy of a closed But George, border. let me let me jump in there because you're speaking like you're speaking to people who have the luxury of years to think about the future and so on. There's a person who's just thinking about his next meal. For him, he doesn't have the luxury of thinking, oh, international patents, the future of work and so on. So for that guy who's saying, you know what? I had this job and now it's now somebody who has come in and is asking for less and now I don't have a job. How do you speak to him? Because he's not going to be find it appealing to say, well, let's think about the, the greater good, um, so to speak. Oh, oh, no, I hear what you're saying. So, so that particular citizen, I think, exists in a particular place where uh, the job that they are doing is being downgraded, as you say, in terms of the rates that they can earn and therefore someone else takes the job. So that's a, that's a problem of skilling, right? It's a problem of what that national economy has done for the level of skill that this person needs to get a job higher up. So the, the first step of it is, if you look at the statistics, and I think so the Strategian General released this statistics uh, a few weeks ago, the first, the first uh, myth that's out there is that foreigners come and displace locals and take their jobs. Uh, and that's actually a myth. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen, particularly in a country like South Africa. What happens is that the, the foreigner comes and is willing to take the lower end job for a lower salary, mm. and and the standard of living of the local is of the higher end job for a slightly higher salary. So what the frustration comes in the skilling, and the Minister of Home Affairs in South Africa, or the former minister now Minister of Finance, when he dealt with this issue, was talking about what investment a country like South Africa would have to make for it to continue to lift the standard of living of its people and skill them for the jobs that its economy can create at a higher level. So, so it's, it's a question of education and getting people to understand what, what happens in the job market and how is it happening. Because myths are created and then lead to things like xenophobia. But, but by every government's admission, the foreigner actually comes in to create jobs. He creates a, a smaller job, but down the chain. He's not creating it up the chain, and so that's why its value is not accruing to the local. And that's a really interesting conversation. Maybe we should pick up on it at some point. Mm. But I think one of the things that I would add to that as well is to say that, you know, unity of Africa is not necessarily the climax of Africa's achievement. It's actually the start mm. of our development and progress. So when you start to look at it like that, um, and of course, you know, every, um, every journey has its own sacrifices. And maybe <laughs> that is know, controversial. Okay, finish your thought. Every journey has its own sacrifices. So let's sacrifice really, these poor people and their jobs. No, not necessarily. I didn't even say that. Uh, Don't maybe. even go there. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is, there are going to be sacrifices, whether it's politically, economically, etc. Um, and we have to be willing to to make those sacrifices for generations to come. All right, uh, uh, I mean, George. Last last thought on this. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, so to add to that, I, I, would, I would say the following. One is that, is that 
the some economies are ready for what those future jobs will look like, and they will create those future jobs. There's a statistic I came across. If, if you think about every child who's in grade seven right now across the continent, uh, the job that they are going to occupy uh, is mostly uninvented at the moment mm. because because of the rate of change that we have to cope with. Yeah. So it, it's not a situation of all of us are going to try and do the very same thing. So it's re- helping young people reimagine what that future looks like and thinking about solving problems and the needs that they can respond to. That is that is where we solve it at source. When we try to solve it at the at the level of George, who now educated for an old industrialized industrialized world, yeah. when the world is globalized, it's a very very different conversation. And so we should take that approach and see integration in that light. Fantastic, George. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, interesting, provocative uh, statements there. I think we need you in studio so we can. Uh, punch you in the face for some of the comments <laughs> that you just made. Uh, but but thanks a lot for joining us, George. Thanks, George. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So we obviously have a Pan-African uh, listenership as well. And um, uh, some clown from Nigeria has decided to send a message. says, Rory, the issue not be just job or even babes. I'm told our South African brothers are also worried we're taking their babes. <laughs> So we think about this. If we're united as a continent <laughs> and you can travel to any corner of this continent, then you have more babes. Ah, uh, you, you know have what? more options. You are, you're, you're going to so get me into trouble. When Andrew comes back, he's going to say that I, I became a chauvinist uh, in the space of one show. But Mimi, you, you, you are, you are tasked with communicating. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like a lot of this is a communication problem. So, so how would you, I'm not convinced about George's, uh, uh, proposal around how we how we communicate how we communicate with people who's who live for the next hour mm. and try and and, and 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 present with them with a proposal that is a years and so on look look forward look into the future how do we do it you're you're the communication professional how in the world are we going to 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 convince uh, people who live from hour to hour to say you know what this is good uh, having south africans come in and take your job um is good uh, for the greater good and for yourself. Mm. I do think, you know, I, I, I do think there's value in what George said around, uh, you know, busting the myth um, of, you know, unemployment and foreigners coming in and taking jobs, etc. I do think that talking, you know, taking this high level conversation and bringing it down to, um, you know, I hate the term, but the layman's uh, um, voice, you mm. know, to, for them to be able to understand what we're talking about is to say, you know, number one, foreigners are not taking your jobs. This is actually what's happening. Um, the second thing is, uh, how do we create more jobs? Is an integrated, more united Africa going to create more job opportunities so that we can enlarge the pool of opportunities for all concerned? Mm. You know, um, and I think once you start to go down the, the those um, those avenues in terms of narrative, then you have people's attention because it's not necessarily about that one specific job. It's that I can't find a job. Mm. So can we create more jobs but with, this pro- pro- with this proposal? And if so, with, how does everybody benefit? And isn't that the challenge? The people who are most mobile are the people who've got the money to move around and take advantage of the opportunities, while those that aren't, that don't have the economic muscle won't be able to go and pursue that job in Kenya or, or so on because they're stuck. They, they, they don't have money for the next meal, let alone a bus to, to the next, to the next country. So, so how do we then make, make it easier in terms of mobility? 
city as well. What are some of the plans there? So, you know, I, I think I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is um, that the integration of Africa, the economic integration of the continent does not just benefit. I think we, we're getting very much stuck in this will benefit richer countries and poorer countries will become poorer. The point is to bring everybody up um, to approximately the same level or to attempt to do that. So if poorer countries become stronger economically, then obviously we have, you know, then again, going back to the whole issue of migration, why would a person from Malawi leave Malawi when they have opportunities there similar to the ones they would get in South Africa um, to come to South Africa for a job? Mm. They could just stay they in Malawi. Stay and and uh, that solves the South African person's problem yeah. um, of a foreigner coming into the country and taking their jobs. So, What are some of the most ignorant, and I'm sure I've already asked some of those questions, some of the most ignorant questions and thoughts that have been shared um, as you as you've been contemplating um, and, and trying to communicate this message uh, what are some of the more ignorant things that uh, people are saying that that you're like oh my goodness I can't believe because that then demonstrates to you where the minds of people are um, at the moment and where you need to start the conversation right yeah which is which is the thing I'm challenging you about is that mm-hmm. you're starting the conversation from the point of a person who's who's who has evolved mm-hmm. um, but uh, there are a lot of us who are still sitting here who still need to undergo that evolution. Mm. Uh, what are some of those ignorant statements that demonstrate that we still have far to go? Well, I think going back to to our, our lovely Nigerian friend who sent a message, I think you know, you know, people coming <laughs> into the country and taking our girls is one of the <laughs> is one of the statements. Um, you know that that we hear quite a lot. Um, I think you know those interpersonal relationships. You know, and you know Nigerians are here. You know, too many of them, they're selling drugs, etc. Mm. The stereotypical stuff the that you hear all yeah, the time. Yeah. Those are the most ignorant, obviously, not mm. based on facts, not based on research or mm. anything like mm. that. Um, and, and I think, again, the solution is to take this high level message and bring it down to, uh, you know, bring it down to, to the ordinary Africans understanding of things and say, you know, let's just put girls aside for a minute and talk about how this is going to be good for your economic em- emancipation. Mm. And how is the rest of the world uh, seeing this? Has, have there been engagements with um, other parts of the world, the European Union, the US, um, the East, Eastern countries around this? Are they not threatened by this? Because I can imagine it's easier to deal with us divided rather than united. Of course. Um, are they even interfering to try and make sure this doesn't happen? Well, it really depends on who you're talking about. I think that the whole unity of Africa thing has the potential to be a threat absolutely when you talk about the west um and uh, specifically you know one of the 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 reforms that you know we're talking about for the african union which is um independence economic independence um and you know so when you start talking about a free trade zone what does that look like for the rest of the world how do they start interacting with us at that level um that's posed some challenges uh from uh, from a number of quarters but um you know, ultimately, we need to stay focused on the goal. You're not going to please everybody. Um, you know, as you know, at the moment, the way things are, when the West sneezes, Africa catches a cold, and we need to decide whether that's the route that we need to to um, to carry on um, or to change. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so, so who are the most supportive of this in in, in outside countries? 
Um, you know, it's it's a number. Well, let's let's not delve into naming naming and name shaming. and shame. Name, this no, is frankly speaking, Mimi. This is frankly speaking. <laughs> Speak frankly. Um, there there are a number of supportive economies um out there, and I think that you know we'll we'll talk about it more. <laughs> where are we going to talk about it more after the show? This is where we're talking about it more after the show. L- let's look at we're struggling to get George in from Rwanda. Um, I wanted to speak to him about the economic um the economic implications. But fifty five percent of African nations require visa for 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 the average African to travel into them. Mm-hmm. Um, twenty five percent of the rest allow for visa on arrival, and twenty percent allow Africans to travel visa free. Yes, I'm curious. If we mapped this against GDP, are the are the most prosperous uh, African nations also the ones that are most open, or 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 it, does that not translate? Because somebody will say, yeah, but you're saying this, but if we look right now, the most prosperous nations are actually a lot more closed off uh, than the, those nations that are supposedly more open. Well, um, let's look at some countries that you can travel to visa free at the moment. Mm. Um, Rwanda is one of them, or at least visa on arrival. Let's mm, focus on mm, visa mm. on arrival. Um, Rwanda is one of them. Um, Senegal is one. Uh, Ghana, uh, is also one of them. So are they necessarily the most prosperous countries? Um, not necessarily. I think they're the most progressive countries in terms of, um, you know, both from a leadership standpoint, but also from, um, you know, a foresight, um, you know, looking into the future and how are we going to benefit both our economies, you know, and become integrated as part of the continent. So mm. um, not necessarily progressive does not equal visa free. And uh, what do you so you have this job? It's an everyday job. You You spend time with Kagame. Um, how is it that he has managed, uh, at least under his leadership, it seems like this is really getting, getting wheels. Um, what have been the major changes that have happened that have gotten us this far? And, and, and what is, is it going to take to sustain this momentum? Apparently, by, uh, according to Vision uh, to Agenda 2063, uh, we're supposed to be visa free by 2018. That's, yes. that's next year. Yes. Um, how far are we in achieving this? Is it going to happen and what is it going to take to, to maintain that momentum? So when you look at the African Union reforms, I think the goal to become visa free or at least the implementation of this one passport, uh, reform, um, at, at a country level is supposed to reflect by 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a process because like I said, from a country level, you have to start building the infrastructure to be able to implement this mm. change. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, let me also point out that the African Union has been through many recommendations for reform over the years. Mm. Um, I think what makes this different, and this is perhaps an issue that we can touch on, is leadership. You know, when you have leadership um, that is leading a reform process, but then also at a country level willing to implement, mm. then things start to move. And um, and that's why I was saying, you know, it, it, it was a pretty uh, crude comment, uh, you know, earlier when I talked about Machiavelli, but mm. um, it really is all about an issue of leadership. Do we have leaders who are willing to free themselves from the chains of the Western economic blocks, etc., and really focus on the developmental issues that affect their countries and their people? Well, um, you said you said free themselves from being grabbed by the nuts. That's, let's let's okay. just go back to the crude thing that you said. <laughs> by the balls. I by said the balls, balls. Not yes. even nuts. Yes. I think balls is worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so do we? That's a, you raise the question. 
you more than anyone else in the studio knows and 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 probably um, associates uh, with African leaders. So you tell me. Do I think we're we? st- I think we're we're starting to cultivate that kind of leadership more and more in our countries um, because we've had a few of them and we see that that what they're doing is working. Mm. And practical and has impactful and positive results, um, on their populations. So, and, and I also think that, uh, you know, your average African is becoming more and more impatient, uh, with lazy, sloppy leadership, um, and demanding change. Um, having said that, it's still a long process for a lot of our African counterparts. Um, and, uh, it's going to take time, but I think the seed has been planted mm. and, and we're, we're on the road to, we're Quote on the road, freedom. Mimi, but, but these leaders don't hold each other accountable. So, That's the so, problem. So how in the world is this thing going to, to, to move forward without stops and starts? Well, I think that, you know, th- th- this is the thing also. The issue of leaders holding each other accountable, I, I, I think is a valid one. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we, do we hold our leaders accountable? We put them in office. Mm-hmm. So when you look at, you know, the, you know, the situation of South Africa, you know, how much are we doing to hold our leaders accountable in South Africa? What more can we do? You maybe? know, uh, you, <laughs> no, you, you tell me. me. I mean, I'm, la- I'm, I'm at no, a loss. No, Trust me, this I, guy. I put, I put the question out there I, and then I, I, and then I take up my, my DRC flag <laughs> and leave like, you to answer it. <laughs> well, let's speak about the DRC then. What can you do about yeah. the DRC? No, same situation. Mm. I could completely agree with you is that you know what are we doing to hold our leaders accountable there was a, an election that was supposed to happen in the drc it never happened there's no money. you know it got extended there's no money mm. quote unquote where's the money <laughs> show me the money yeah nowhere to be seen and um and you know so so the issue of leaders holding each other accountable is one thing but i think that perhaps and i don't have the answer to this um, there need to be better systems put in place mm. for citizenry to hold their leaders accountable. Because ultimately, like we said, you know, these are all high level thoughts. Mm. But to the person living in Kinshasa or in Katanga or mm. wherever, you know, these are issues, you know, how do we help that p- person become more empowered, uh, to choose the kind of leadership that they, that they need for, for their country? But, but you see, that, that's where my challenge is, is if our leaders can't can't even manage uh, a country mm. how in the world are they going to manage an integrated block where 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 people are moving freely trade and so on um if they if they're unable to because then it requires a greater level of cooperation between the leaders mm-hmm. which means holding each other to account because in some instances they have to share debt right they have to share um currency obligations there there range of things that 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 come about um, and that's what we saw in europe where 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 it began to disintegrate was when some countries said, I am not, um, I'm not underwriting the debt of this country. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the, the, the unity there began to fall apart. But mm-hmm. that was, that was uh, probably like holding one another accounts. You have not been prudent in the way you manage your national accounts. Um, why must I now carry your debt in the same way, but on the continent where we can't even make a phone call to one another to say, dude, What's going on? What's going on? We've yeah. got we've got a, an opposition leader from South Africa that tried to go to Zambia, mm. and was uh, was summarily uh, deported back into into South Africa, mm. and our, our, our government clearly thinks it's a joke. They don't say, hey, you know, 
just in terms that should be a that guy is a member of parliament. It should be a diplomatic crisis yeah. um, to say how in the world do you deport one of our parliamentarians? Mm. Um, so it's not happening at at such a small scale. What is going? How do we? And at least how is the AU thinking about how we make sure that this thing? Uh, Happens without those those accountability measures. Mm, so you know, so it, is that an issue of the inherent current state, though? You know, so are are leaders not holding each other to account because we're not integrated? Because we don't have anything to hold each other to account for. Mm. Um, so that's also a question that needs to be answered because, you know, when you, there, there's the, there's the issue of holding each other to account, but then there's also the issue of talking as one voice. And I think this is one of the key things of the reform as well is to say, when we go and talk to the United Nations, for example, about the Chibok girls in Nigeria, um, we're going as, as a continent. It's not just Nigeria going to fight their own fights. So there's, you know, so I think that that starts to bring in an element of accountability on everybody's part that X amount of girls in Nigeria cannot just go missing and it's just Nigeria's problem. And you know, there's a possibility we, they've crossed borders. And as there's well, a possibility right? they've mm. crossed borders. And so how does everybody unite around this issue? One of the things that I like to ask people quite a lot is do you think that the nineteen ninety four genocide in Rwanda would have happened if we were united as a continent? You know? Would have uh Muammar Gaddafi uh, been murdered in the way that he was on African soil if we were united as a continent. So these are the questions that we, 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 uh, we need to ask ourselves. And I think with, um, with every process comes accountability, um, as, as well as rights and responsibilities, right? It's an all rounder. So if you look at the visa openness index, uh, that, that's produced by the African Development Bank, you see that the Seychelles, uh, is the most open uh, African country at the moment. But um, what you see is some of the, the larger economies are not very open. South Africa performs pretty poorly there. Nigeria is also performing quite poorly there. Um, Egypt is also not amongst the top the, the, the top countries. So these are, these are the big economies. What is it going to take to convince? It almost feels like if you can't get these countries to, to, to play along, uh, it creates, you know, it, it almost becomes difficult to to make to make the real dream and the vision happen mm. what are the conversations that are happening to try and convince these large economies to do it and and where are they uh, in terms of um, you know closeness to being convinced yeah i think that the larger economies um, you know although they have they have questions and concerns about some of these reforms um, they are a lot of them are actually really considering you know, implementing them and some of them already are. So let's take the example of South Africa. We were talking earlier about how South Africa is talking about having a visa free policy, etc. These are conversations that are already happening at the home affairs level. Um, so, you know, so they, they are, they are issues in terms of the technicalities. Um, and this is important to say is that the technicalities of how these reforms are implemented can be questioned and can be, um, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, massaged to fit uh, certain criteria. But whether the reforms should be uh, implemented is not even a question on any level. Mm. And um, what do we do then about um, the countries that where where there's a lot of so let's say Somalia for example right 
Uh, we don't really have a government there. Uh, things are falling apart. How do those countries get integrated without opening up the risk of uh, terrorism and so on? Because they're seen as a high as a high terrorism risk. Mm-hmm. If we get to visa openness, it means that we could be allowing people in here that aren't even Somalians, not even Africans, um, who are coming in and causing that. What what are the measures that can be put in place? So I think that when we start talking about the issues of terrorism and looking at a country like Somalia, um, you know, often our narrative is still one of the other. Mm. Right. So, that's um, problem. yeah, that's, mm. that's their problem. So mm, let them sort you. it out. And once, once they've sorted it out, then they can become integrated with, with the rest of us good people. Mm. Um, the issues in Somalia are everybody's problem. Again, going back to an example with the Chibok girls. Mm. Um, so what's happening in Somalia is not is not um is not just a Somalian problem. How do we make it an African problem and all contribute to the resolution? Um and make terrorism because terrorism is not just happening in Nigeria and Somalia and all of these places. You know, sooner or later it's gonna filter down to the rest of us. You it's know? actually interesting because it probably already has it probably it's just, already has. The terrorists are probably more Regionally integrated than than the formal economy than the rest of us, yeah, exactly. Because they move arms and money and all of that. They've figured it out, and we we're still. Bumbling around Absolutely It's an African problem And more importantly It's a world problem But it's an African problem In our context But we've got Africa peacekeeping missions And so on Why are those not working? Because at that level We're treating it As though it is An Africa problem But mm-hmm. it seems it, it doesn't seem To be working Yeah I think that the, In terms of the Peacekeeping missions There's obviously An issue of funding um, There's an issue Of um, You know it, it, It's funny the, the When I say narrative And I hate to repeat myself on this issue but the whole other versus us you know um you know we we put together a peacekeeping force but how many of our african countries are actually actively participating in keeping those uh those peacekeeping forces working agile effective and efficient Mm. you know um so once we take africa's peace and security as everybody's problem and that's one of the reforms that we're talking about with the african union um that was proposed and accepted um, then we can, you know, then it can become, uh, then it can become a reality for all of us. It's it's quite interesting because we speak of this thing called Africa and it's huge and so on. But uh, there's also regional economic blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got ECOWAS, you've got the EAC, UMA, SADC, and so on. But it, it's quite interesting to note that um, out of all of these different uh, trading blocks or regional trading blocks on the continent, there are only two. Uh, that have a hundred percent reciprocal uh, uh, visa arrangements between those countries. Mm-hmm. In other words, the people in those economic blocks can move around visa free. But even in 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 individual sort of regional blocks, I mean, in SADC, it's mm-hmm. a fifty-two percent uh, reciprocity between the different countries. UMA, it's only two regions. So. Mm-hmm. If we're not winning in terms of just getting it right at a regional level, what is it going to take to get it to to an African level? Do you know of why these regions are still struggling? I I, I don't know, and mm. I don't know the the stats and the facts behind that. Mm. But Rory, let me let me ask this question: Is first of all, what do we have to lose? 
Right. That is really the bigger question here. Mm. Um, what do we have to lose if we integrate? What are we getting so right? Because, you know, you're pointing out a lot of things that we're getting wrong. Mm. So if we're getting those things wrong, would try, would trying something different be so completely off our radar and not work that before we even try it, yeah. that we're not willing to, 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 to even give it a try. So what I'm saying is, you know, let, let's not necessarily focus on, What's not working? Because we know that what's not working has not been working for years. We've yeah. tried so many different solutions. How do, how will it affect us if we tried something different? Firm reprimand there delivered to me. Uh, so, <laughs> so you tell me, how do I get involved? What are the ways in which I get involved in making sure that we advance this agenda? What, what are next steps as far as, uh, uh, the African passport is concerned. Um, where to now? So one of the biggest, um, you know, issues that I'm dealing with, um, you know, from a professional point of view and also as an African is just communicating about these reforms. And there's a huge level of education that needs to go into it. Um, you know, like you said, you know, not only does the ordinary African not necessarily know about these reforms that are taking place at the AU level, um, but a lot of them don't even understand what the AU is, what it, it was, um, originally Originally, um, you know, what was the institution at the beginning? Why was it formed? What it achieved up to this point? And, um, and what are the next steps and how these reforms are going to affect our everyday lives? Mm. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, Africans becoming more informed is one of our biggest um, challenges mm-hmm. uh, because we don't necessarily always show the interest, right? Yeah. Um, and I think once you become interested in issues that are going to so impact your life so definitively um, as free trade, as peace and security, as having one African passport, as opening up borders, um, then, you know, then you can become a part of the solution and, mm. you know, contribute to the conversation. Um, and I think secondly is to also, you know, get Africans more motivated and incentivized to uh, to push their leaders for change, you know, going back to my earlier point, pushing our leadership to really take the necessary steps towards our quote unquote, quote unquote emancipation. And, uh, the, the African passport, uh, how is it going to be rolled out? I believe that some people already have an Africa passport or is that, is that so? So, so some people already do, yes. um, at very high levels. Um, so certain presidents, um, et cetera. Mm. Um, but like I said, I think that the, the infrastructure at country level needs to be implemented before it's actually rolled out to, you know, ordinary citizens like you and I. And, uh, and, and you as somebody who travels widely on the continent, uh, Give, give a sense to those, to those of us that probably don't travel enough on the continent around what are we missing out on? Because maybe that's, that's, that, that's what people really struggle to grasp. It's easier when you've moved around, you, you see what's on the continent. Mm. What exactly are we missing on a person level? So not what's good for the continent, but on an individual level. I think on an individual level, the first thing is, uh, Many of the stereotypes you have as an African about Africa are mm. completely untrue. They're just that stereotypes. Mm. Mm. Um, so, you know, when you, when you say that we have, you know, there's so much poverty in Mali that, you know, most Malians will want to move to South Africa, go to Mali and find and out, you know, yeah. what there is there. Ignorance, Rory. Ign- Ignorance. I didn't say it. You said it. <laughs> you said it. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Mimi, for joining me as co-guest host. Thank you. I think we're going to make this a regular. We're seeing a lot of people clapping their hands and saying, go Mimi, there's a Mimi magic. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining us. I thank think this is a conversation that we need to have. But, uh, for everyone out there, guys, let's, let's, let's jump in. I think the first thing is let's start moving around. Um, you can't have toured Europe or the U- US more broadly than you've toured the country next door. So, Absolutely. so let's jump in there and let's make sure that we get to know our continent. From me, I'm out. We'll see you again next week. Cliffcentral.com.